Good morning. The title of this morning's message is To Seek and Save the Lost. This morning I want to talk to you about Zacchaeus' identity, God's identity, and how seeing God correctly enabled Zacchaeus' identity to be completely changed. So let's look at Zacchaeus' story in, the, in Luke chapter 19, and beginning with verse 1. He, Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. This is just a few days before the final week of Jesus' earthly life. He and his disciples were on their way to Jerusalem, where he would be arrested, beaten, flogged, and crucified. So Jesus didn't have a lot of time to spend in Jericho. He needed to accomplish what he went there for, and then continue to be about his father's business, the salvation of mankind. And one of the reasons Jesus was there was specifically for Zacchaeus. Verse 2. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was rich at the expense of everyone he collected taxes from. <laughs> and everyone knew it. <laughs> so Zacchaeus was completely despised by everyone who was acquainted with him. And I think it would be safe to say no one loved Zacchaeus. When my sons were young, they were allowed to stay up for half an hour if they read their Bibles. And my youngest at that time couldn't read, but he had one of those little New Testaments. <laughs> and he would say, he would pretend he was reading, and he would say, God no loves Stephen. <laughs> his brother in the top bunk. <laughs> of course, his brother would rebut him, and he would go, God, no love, Stephen. <laughs> no one loved Zacchaeus. <laughs> he was high and lifted up, just like his brother. <laughs> no one loved Zacchaeus. And it's even doubtful that he had even had any friends at all except maybe those few who participated in his extortion. Verse 3, And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not, because he was small in stature. Now, we don't know what Zacchaeus had heard about Jesus. He may have heard that Jesus just recently, maybe just a few hours before, healed a blind man named Bartimaeus on his way into town. And that's pretty impressive, <laughs> impossible even. So he might have just wanted to see Jesus heal people. Or he may have heard that Jesus currently employs a former tax collector as one of his disciples. <laughs> that's pretty impressive too. Impossible even. <laughs> but whatever it was that he heard about Jesus, it made him want to see him for himself. Now, Zacchaeus wasn't just curious. He was determined. He was determined to see Jesus in spite of the crowds and in spite of his short legs. <laughs> he was going to see Jesus. Verse 4. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. Now, this sycamore tree is actually a kind of fig tree, and I have a picture of one for you. It has a short, wide, sturdy trunk and super sturdy branches that can jut out fairly low from the ground. So he could easily climb 
up them like a ladder, and they were often purposely planted at crossroads. Hmm, Zacchaeus came to a crossroad. <laughs> and oddly enough, they were also known as the tree of regeneration because it had the ability to regenerate itself if it got covered over with sand and died. Out from the ground, out of its roots, would come new life. So it was called the tree of regeneration. Now, that sounds like a bit of a setup to me. <laughs> Names are important in the Bible. Zacchaeus' name means pure or innocent. <laughs> so, <laughs> I can't imagine anybody ever said that with a straight face. <laughs> but Jesus comes along and he sees a man named Pure and Innocent sitting in a tree of regeneration. Sounds like a setup to me. <laughs> men, grown men during that time, did not run and they certainly did not climb trees. But Zacchaeus was determined to see Jesus. So, just like a little kid, the man named Pure and Innocent climbs up a tree called Regeneration. <laughs> little did he know. <laughs> and this reminds me of several scriptures in the chapter preceding Zacchaeus' story, chapter 18 of Luke. Verse 15 says this, And they brought to him, Jesus, infants, that he might touch them. And his disciples saw them and rebuked them. But Jesus called them and said to them, Suffer or permit the little children to come unto me and forbid them not. For of those that are like them, of such is the kingdom of heaven. Verily I say to you, that he who shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will not enter it. Sounds like a setup to me. <laughs> so Zacchaeus, in his excitement, just like a little kid, climbs up into the sycamore tree. And as Mark says, the sick no more tree. <laughs> he climbed up high enough that Jesus had to look up to speak to him. So Zacchaeus made sure that he would definitely see Jesus and that Jesus would definitely see him. Verse 5, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Why must Jesus stay at his house on that day? Well, it's because Jesus was very quickly running out of days. <laughs> He's on his way back to Jerusalem, and he won't be coming back that way again. So it really was a now or never kind of moment for Zacchaeus. So obviously this was indeed a divine setup. Now, we know that Zacchaeus didn't know Jesus personally, but that didn't stop Jesus from knowing Zacchaeus. Jesus knew where the woman at the well was going to be and why he had to go to Samaria. And Jesus knew about a man named Zacchaeus who's called pure. He's going to be climbing up a tree like a kid, and a tree called regeneration. He has an appointment, a divine appointment. So we know that Jesus speaks to Zacchaeus and calls him by name. Now, obviously, they had never been introduced. <laughs> Jesus may have heard about Zacchaeus, <laughs> 
but obviously he hadn't seen him yet. But Jesus knew how to find the man he had an appointment with. So Jesus calls him by his name. Pure one. Innocent one. How's that for irony? <laughs> the worst, baddest <laughs> scoundrel. <laughs> and Jesus calls him pure. Now, our names are very important to us personally, so this would have just flabbergasted anybody who hadn't met Jesus before. You know my name? <laughs> and we humans, we love the sound of our names. But biblically, names were important too. And when Jesus calls you pure, if you're not already, you soon will be. <laughs> so Jesus didn't say, hey, you up in the tree. Can I come to your house and stay overnight? <laughs> if he had done that, the grumbling onlookers would have just figured that Jesus didn't know who he was talking to. But Jesus wanted them to know that he was well aware of who he was talking to. He was talking to the mob boss of Jericho, who was terrorizing the entire city by ripping people off through exorbitant taxation. That's why it was so scandalous. Everybody hated Zacchaeus, and everyone was sure that God hated him too. He was a filthy, rich, exorbitant sinner. <laughs> Jesus could not have picked anyone worse than Zacchaeus. And Jesus purposely and publicly invites himself to the house of the local mob boss. <laughs> now, part of the crowd that was following Jesus, including the apostles, who had just heard Jesus preach in the previous chapter about the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And then they saw Jesus' encounter with another rich man, a rich young ruler, and that didn't appear to go so well. Again, this sounds like it's a divine setup for everyone. <laughs> so let's take a look at those scriptures, beginning with Luke chapter 18, verse 9. This is the parable of the rich man and the tax collector. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, <laughs> extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. <laughs> I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me. A sinner. I tell you that this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This kind of thinking was really not within the Jewish mindset. <laughs> they knew God was merciful, but they didn't expect him to be merciful to those who didn't really earn it on some level. <laughs> so they were flabbergasted that Jesus would say such a crazy thing. The tax collector was justified. What? 
<laughs> Not the Pharisee? What? <laughs> this was radical for them to hear. Of course, the point Jesus was making was that everyone has fallen short of God's glorious perfection, even if they don't have short legs. And everyone is in need of God's mercy and grace. But the Pharisee refused God's mercy and grace because he didn't think he needed it. He thought his own goodness was sufficient to be found innocent in God's eyes. And then Jesus had an encounter with another rich man further down, beginning in verse 18. And the ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. He was so proud of himself. And Jesus heard this and said to him, one thing, just one, you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad. <laughs> For he was extremely rich. He was so sad. Give away everything? Really? That's hard, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And then those who heard it said, What? <laughs> then who can be saved? There's a rich is different for everybody. What do you mean rich people can't get into heaven? We're all striving to become rich. What are you talking about, Jesus? <laughs> but he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Now, over the years, scholars have tried to soften this down a little bit, to say that the camel going through the eye of a needle is the same as a camel being able to go through a hole in the wall. No such thing exists. In, at least not in history and archaeology, there's no such thing called the eye of a needle as a hole in the wall. But it sounds really good. <laughs> because why does it sound good? Because that means that it is possible for a rich man to get into heaven. But see, what they didn't realize is it's impossible for anybody to get into heaven based on what they do. <laughs> what do they have to do to get into heaven? Trust. Have faith. The rich young ruler wanted to know what he could do to inherit. What? You don't do anything to inherit eternal life. So Jesus gave him something he could do. He says, all right, you want to do something to get there? This is what you, specifically just you, need to know. <laughs> give it all away. And, you see, he didn't just say give it all away. He said give it all away follow me. You see, Jesus knew if the man actually did it, he would instantly have to start trusting God for everything, <laughs> including his eternal life. See, it would have worked for him. It's about who do you trust? Where do you put your faith? 
The young ruler didn't understand that there is nothing a man can do to merit eternal life. The rich young ruler said he wanted to inherit eternal life, but he didn't really mean it. To him, it was something you earned. It was all about merit. Meriting and inheriting salvation is impossible. That's the point. <laughs> Reason it's hard for rich to get into heaven, have faith, is because they don't feel they need God. But if you're poor, you find out in a hurry you need God. <laughs> All men, rich or poor, must cast their hope on God's mercy and grace through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Scripture doesn't tell us what happened to the rich young ruler. We don't know if he ever actually did what Jesus told him that he specifically needed to do. But on that occasion, at least, it didn't appear that he could put his faith in anything but his own riches. So Jesus preaches about a repentant tax collector and a rich man trying to merit salvation. And the next thing you know, Jesus is engaging with the mob boss of Jericho. <laughs> Sounds like a setup to me. <laughs> The mob boss was literally Zacchaeus' identity. He wasn't just a malicious tax collector. He was in charge of all tax collecting. He was a crime boss. People are getting killed. People are being beaten up and broken. People are being destroyed by Zacchaeus and his cronies. He was literally a crime boss. And he most likely saw himself the same way everyone else saw him. A great and terrible sinner who was to be avoided at all costs and for all kinds of reasons. <laughs> and Zacchaeus would not have been under any delusions about his spiritual state. Most tax collectors were Jews, and they had a, a contract with Rome. You get this much tax. Anything you collect over that is yours. That's how he got rich. So he would not, as a Jew, have been under any delusions about his spiritual state. <laughs> he was horrible, and he knew it. <laughs> I'm sure he often heard just about how horrible he was. So nobody wanted anything to do with him. So when Jesus invites himself to Zacchaeus' house, everyone is shocked, including Zacchaeus. What? You want me? <laughs> He's probably thinking, you don't know who you're talking to. But he knew. <laughs> He's like, you want to come to my house? Now, granted, it's a nice house. <laughs> There's room for all the disciples. <laughs> There's food galore. Yes, it's not a bad idea. <laughs> but he's like, what? You want to come to my house? You want to be my friend? The word friend is covenant talk. Jews did not eat with somebody who was not included in the covenant that they had with God. So basically, Jesus is asking Zacchaeus to let him be his covenant friend. He's telling him, the Father says the covenant still applies to you. Now, it wasn't the new covenant yet, but God had not forgotten Zacchaeus. Some scholars think that even the, uh, the parable was based on the truth that Zacchaeus had recently visited the temple and that he was crying out that somehow, some way, the God of all mercy 
could reach even him. Now, we don't know that, but it sure makes for a good story. <laughs> and it would explain why Jesus had to go and meet Zacchaeus. In inviting himself to Zacchaeus' house, Jesus was saying, Zacchaeus, it's time for you to come home. The Father is not mad at you. The Father and I accept you right where you are and just as you are. Mercy and grace have become yours. And somehow, some way, Zacchaeus knew that that was true. Because Zacchaeus responds joyfully. <laughs> Verse 6. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. He received Jesus joyfully. The Strong's definition of received means to admit one under one's roof. That is to entertain hospitality, to receive. And we understand that when somebody prays the prayer, of God, come into my house come into my heart, that they do indeed receive Jesus. Zacchaeus wasn't looking for Jesus to give him a whole bunch of rules. Zacchaeus wasn't looking for Jesus to point out all the things he had done wrong. Zacchaeus was looking for grace and mercy. And that day he received it in the person of Jesus. So, the spiritual implication is that Zacchaeus received and accepted Jesus and his request to stay, stay, stay <laughs> at his house as his covenant friend. Jesus accepted Zacchaeus first, and then Zacchaeus accepted Jesus. And that's always the way it is. Our Father has accepted through the blood of Jesus Christ every man, woman, and child. They are free to come. They are free to come and receive. It's all of grace. And then, when the offer of grace is given, they can receive Jesus for themselves. But nobody liked what Zacchaeus and Jesus were doing that day. Nobody was happy <laughs> about Zacchaeus having Jesus come to his house. Verse 7. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And it said they all, all, all grumbled? Even the apostles? It doesn't say most grumbled. <laughs> it says they all grumbled. So nobody liked this grace idea. <laughs> now I can just imagine the apostles being exasperated that Jesus is once again making them look bad. <laughs> Consorting with the worst sinner in Jericho, Jesus, really? Couldn't you have picked a regular tax collector? Do you have to pick the worst one, Jesus? You know how bad this makes us look? <laughs> yes, they all grumbled. <laughs> but Jesus knew the power of grace to change a man's heart. As we have seen, grace can only be received by those who know they need it. Zacchaeus knew exactly what he was. He was an outcast. He was a thief and a robber. He was alone and unloved, and nobody wanted him, and nobody accepted him except Jesus and his father. Yes, Zacchaeus was a great sinner, but that day he met 
the great Savior. And faith arose in his heart and salvation came to his house, both physically and spiritually. And like the tax collector in the parable, Zacchaeus found mercy, the mercy that his heart secretly desired. And he was justified, counted righteous by grace through faith. Now, how do we know that that's what happened? Evidence. Verse 8. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And that was the highest that would have ever been required. The greatest offense would be to kill another man's sheep or, or goat. And if you admitted that you did that and you wanted to make it right, you had to restore fourfold. So this was the biggest offering he could give. He says, I'm going to give half of everything. And if I have defrauded anyone anything, I will restore it fourfold. Unlike the rich young ruler who would not give away his riches in order to find salvation. When Zacchaeus found salvation, he couldn't keep his riches. <laughs> Let me give this away. <laughs> A man who would give half of his money to the poor and return with interest what he had fraudulently taken must either be crazy or saved. <laughs> because no sane sinner would do such a thing. Not even a righteous ruler young man who thought he had it all together, who kept the law, who did everything he thought he needed to do to be acceptable to God. He wouldn't. But Zacchaeus found reconciliation with God. And then when he found reconciliation with God, he found he wanted reconciliation with man. And then Jesus verifies that he has indeed received salvation. Verse 9. Jesus said to him, Today salvation is come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. He is also counted righteous by grace through faith, just like Abraham. Here Jesus openly restores his true identity. A son of Abraham. Now they didn't know about being sons of God yet. <laughs> to be called a son of Abraham was a high compliment. And it was also a legal term. He was a son of Abraham by birth. But now he was a son of Abraham by faith. He had the same kind of relationship with God. Grace through faith. Everyone says Zacchaeus was a great sinner. But Jesus said, no. <laughs> no, he's not a great sinner anymore. He's a son of Abraham. Yes, he was a great sinner. <laughs> But he has met the great Savior, and now he is a true son of Abraham. That's how the Passion Translation puts it. He's a true son of Abraham. Why did he get this? He experienced the unconditional love and acceptance of God's grace through his encounter with Jesus. And then Jesus goes on to verse 10 and says this. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. If we read only the story of Zacchaeus, we might have to ask ourselves, how did Jesus do the seeking exactly? <laughs> we don't see Jesus seeking Zacchaeus. We only see Zacchaeus seeking to see Jesus. 
But obviously the contents of chapter 18 prepare the reader for the story of Zacchaeus in chapter 19. And obviously Jesus was preparing the crowd of people with him to see that even a mob boss, a tax collector to the nth degree, could actually repent, change his mind, and be accepted and justified by God if he only came like a small child. So Zacchaeus was set up. It was a divine appointment. According to the scriptures, Zacchaeus was the last person to believe on Jesus before Jesus went to the cross. It really was a now or never moment for Zacchaeus. And Jesus was ready for him. Jesus was always seeking the lost. And Jesus was always prepared to receive the lost. So Jesus wasn't surprised by a mob boss named Pure or Innocent sitting in a tree called Regeneration, waiting for him to come that way so that Zacchaeus could see him. And the moment Jesus saw Zacchaeus, Jesus knew exactly what Zacchaeus needed to receive from him. He needed his spiritually blind eyes to be opened to God's unconditional love and acceptance. It is the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. So when Jesus openly invited himself to Zacchaeus' house, Zacchaeus was greatly honored by the extravagant display of kindness because that's exactly what it was. It was a huge honor to be, have a great rabbi, especially a celebrity one, <laughs> come to your house. He in no way deserved such honor and recognition from Jesus based on his behavior. And Zacchaeus was probably humbled that one so great would stoop so low in order to gain a covenant friend. Jesus didn't see Zacchaeus as a dirty, rotten sinner. He saw him as a son of Abraham who was lost and needed to be found. Lost is an odd word in the Greek. According to the Strong's Concordance, it's the word apolumi, and the translators translated it as lost. The definition says it can be translated as to destroy fully. Reflexively, it means to perish or lose. Literally or figuratively, it means to destroy, die, lose, mar, or perish. Now, when I read that, I thought, how does that equal lost? <laughs> Why did they choose to translate this lost? And sometimes it helps if I look at the root words. That's how they start out with one concept and it evolves into another. So I looked at the root words. The root words mean away and ruin. So together it means literally to ruin away. And what was ruined away in Zacchaeus' life? His identity as a son of Abraham. And as a believer in the one true God, he lost his true identity through sin and accepted a corrupted view of himself and his God. As a son of Abraham, Zacchaeus had rights to all the promises of God. But somewhere along the line, Zacchaeus wandered away from the God of Israel and basically worshipped money. And when he did, he forfeited his true identity and his rights as a son of Abraham. Now, we don't have any information about how Zacchaeus managed to get himself into this situation. We only know that Jesus came to rescue him and restore him and restore his understanding about the goodness and kindness of God and to remind him of who God had created him to be 
a son of Abraham. I like this word lost because people get lost in this world, literally, figuratively, emotionally, and they don't know how they got there. People don't get lost on purpose. People don't get lost on purpose. And usually, if they recognize their loss, there it is. If they recognize their loss, then they try to find the way home again. And the home again is Jesus. In the Hebrew language, the word for perish is the equivalent to the English word for loss. In fact, the Greek and Hebrew words have almost identical definitions with one difference. I want you to see it. The word for perish is abad. It equals loss, and it says this, properly. When it says properly, it means in the strictest sense. If you whittle it all away, <laughs> what does it mean at its base? And it means to wander away. That is, to lose oneself. By implication, to perish. Causatively, to destroy, to break, destroy, destruction, not to be able to escape, fail, lose, cause to, or make perish. But what I liked is the strictest one. The base means to lose oneself. And this, of course, the losing of oneself is what leads to the perishing and <laughs> being destroyed and suffering destruction. But I really like this definition because this is what Satan does to believers. He gets them to wander away from the truth of who they are in Christ. Now, we can never be lost spiritually. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. But we can get lost in so many other different ways. Satan likes for us to not know the truth of who we are in Christ. <laughs> so he tries to get us to wander away into other things. He will even prevent people from ever finding out who they really are so that they won't be able to function according to the promises of God. Zacchaeus couldn't function according to the promises of God because he walked away from his true identity. Too many believers believe that they are still sinners. Their church will tell them every week, you are a sinner, never forget it. You are nothing, you are garbage, and you should be on your knees grateful that God took mercy on you. How does that paint God? Instead of God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son to save you, how valuable must you be? You are not trash, he died for you. He died for you so you could be a son of God and rule and reign in life. He says, I want you to know what you were created for. You were created to rule and reign through the presence of God in you. <laughs> Satan gets so much of the church to believe that God is mad all the time at them <laughs> or disappointed with their failures and mistakes. Satan tells them that they are too short spiritually. Too bad you got short legs, you're never going to measure up. <laughs> he tells them God is not pleased with them. He tells them that God won't accept them back <laughs> or approve of them until they figure out how to straighten up and fly right. Oh, I tried forever to figure out how to straighten up and fly right. I couldn't make my legs longer. <laughs> no matter how much I tried, <laughs> I was always too short. 
<laughs> Our Heavenly Father isn't trying to keep anything away from us. He has fully prepared and supplied everything we need for life and godliness. And everything is included in our salvation package. All the promises of God in Christ Jesus are yes and amen. And ours for the believing and receiving. Zacchaeus had to believe and receive. We have so much in our account that we haven't received yet <laughs> because we haven't believed yet. <laughs> Knowing the truth about our loving Heavenly Father and understanding the reality that we have truly been crucified with Christ and raised to new life and where our legs are so long, <laughs> we are so tall in Christ Jesus, changes everything. Understanding that Jesus, Jesus has done all of the work needed for my salvation. Jesus did it all. Jesus is it all. <laughs> we are one in him. We, like Zacchaeus, are so honored that Jesus came to seek us out. Even though we were, all of us, spiritually short <laughs> of the glory of God. But even in our shortness, God so loved us and gave his life for us and to us. He came to meet us where we were. We needed to know his love and his acceptance. We needed for him to reach out to us first in his loving kindness and prove to us that he wanted us for his own covenant friend. Jesus said that he came to seek and save the lost. And the Greek word for save, love that word, sozo, which means to save, heal, deliver, provide, protect, and make whole. And Jesus is still in the business of seeking and sozoing whatever has been lost. The lost are those who haven't yet become Jesus' covenant friend. But it's also those who are believers, but don't really understand what belongs to them. Sometimes believers can wander away emotionally or mentally, or sometimes they can just wander away and forget who they really are. <laughs> but he, Jesus, is able and willing to remind us that he is in us. He will never leave us, never forsake us. And he is in the process of sozoing us, releasing his sozoing power into our lives. Zacchaeus' life and identity was changed the day he decided he wanted and really needed to see Jesus. Seeing Jesus changes everything. The more we see Jesus and the more we realize that he has made us one with himself, the more we will display his glory without even trying. We are no longer short, spiritually speaking. We have been made complete. We have been made tall. We have been made enough in and through the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. Amen. Father God, we thank you for the truth of your word that you knew Zacchaeus before Zacchaeus ever knew you. You know where he lived. You knew what he was guilty of, you, but you also knew what you had called him to be. You had called him to be a son of Abraham and to walk out the promises of God in his own life. We thank you, Father God, that we have even more than Zacchaeus understood. 
we have the indwelling presence of God for ourselves. He didn't have that. He had faith. He was counted righteous. He knew he was different, but he didn't have the indwelling spirit of Christ at that time. But Father God, we thank you that no matter how far we can wander away in our emotions or in our feelings, that we understand the truth that you have made us tall. You have made us able to see you and to know you, that you have made us complete in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we never need to fear that you are mad or angry or disappointed. You are able to turn all of our mistakes for our good. You are able to turn all things that we go through for our good. There is nothing that you have not already overcome. We thank you, Father God, that you are in the process of sozoing our lives, <laughs> our mind, our heart, our emotions. We thank you, Father God, that you have given us the victory in and through the Lord Jesus Christ in everything. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.